0: Our portion of scripture today, or where we're going to turn to on uh, scriptures is in chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Numbers. Chapter 13 and 14. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. If you don't know the book, the, your Bible is just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. That's where we are going to be. And as you're, you're getting into that uh, uh, to to those portions of scripture, allow me just to start off with an experience and a story uh, in my life. I may have shared it. I was trying to be able to look at uh, uh, at, at sermons that I've preached here, and I'm not sure. I can't remember if I've, I've told this story. But if you've heard this story before, please pretend that you have never heard it before. Okay. So after graduating from college, um, I, I I settled. Uh, in a church here in the city and there was a gentleman who I've known from my childhood uh, who, who met me once in the parking lot and said, you know what? I am in an investment group and I want to you to join this investment group and this guy was about, maybe about 20 years older than me and when he told me who are in that investment group I realized I was the, I was the youngest by almost 20 years I had just graduated from college in my mid-twenties, and it sounded like a good idea joining this investment group up until I heard how much we needed to put into this investment group. All right? This was three million shillings. Who had that kind of money? Me, college graduate, three million shillings. I said, I'll get back to you. As I was thinking about it, I knew I I could not raise this money. So I thought, okay? And this guy was persistent. I mean, this guy was persistent. He kept on asking me, you know, whether I had made the decision to join the group. Several months went by, and he kept on asking me. In fact, it actually became very embarrassing Cause Kilasa and Anelisa, every time he's asking me, asking me, and I was non-committal, and and I was hoping that he would get the hint. I was still in my twenties, enjoying my life, foot loose, fancy free, as they call us. Almost two and a half years, guys. Went. This guy was relentless, back and forth, and I began avoiding the guy in church. You know, it's like if I was to come here and I see he's seated over there, I'll sit outside over there. I just want to, you know, avoid him. Or if I see him coming this way, I'd go an opposite direction. Fast forward five so years. I was a youth pastor then at the Nairobi Chapel. And that time we were still at Mamlaka Hill. Uh, on Mamlaka Road, just next to the University of Nairobi uh, hostels, Hall 13. And there we were, and uh, they were, we were closing a, a session with the young people. And I asked, "Do anybody want to give some thanksgiving? You know, just like what, what Pastor Brendan said today. Is there anything you want to give thanks to the Lord? And, and one of the young ladies put up her hand and she said, I want to thank God. For being gracious to our family. That we prayed about uh, purchasing a piece of land. And we even have been able uh, to build it as a family. And we shall be moving in in a couple of weeks. And I really thank God for that. Ah, my, my attitude just changed about prayer that day. Fact. I asked somebody to pray instead of me praying because I knew where she was coming from. Why? I knew her. Because it was her father who asked me to join into that investment group. And I knew it in my head. For just those few seconds, I was like, has 3 million shillings passed through my hand? It has been 7 years. Oh my gosh, they are moving in. I asked somebody to please pray because in my heart I was like, "Wow." Because, guys, if I had thought about it and worked at it, I would have been an owner of one acre in Runda today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll be a bowler today. <laughs> yeah. What a missed opportunity, Gowie. You guys are saying that. Don't judge me. Maybe you don't have a story like mine, guys. Okay, um, uh, maybe we can dismiss that as youthful folly. But but I bet I bet you, after several examples of missed opportunities that we have experienced, you'd be like me. You just want to bite yourself. Like, mm, mm, mm. So. Confession: There are times when I'm in that part of town. I'm saying, "Ningekua landlord <laughs> Every year we start with New Year resolutions. Every year we make many reasons of why why we should uh, change our life, why we should improve our life. Can you please reduce the uh, on the trim over here? I'm getting some feedback. Okay. The main one. And the main one reason that we make New Year resolutions or why we decide that we're going to do what we're going to do is because for some reason we imagine we're having a new opportunity, a new chance to start over in the new year. However, in my review of New Year resolutions, we make month after month and we see what would happen in the month of June. Many of us do not even remember them or we are back to where or what we said we were not going to do. The more things change, the more things change remain the same. Today I want us to attempt to break a cycle. A cycle uh, that keep, keeps us on like a treadmill. There's a lot of, of activity but not any forward movement. I'd like to call us to be more resolute, to be more focused. And to do this, let us use history to teach us. And in philosophical language, avoid repeating history. And so, let's go to Numbers chapter 13. I'll actually read just chapter 14. But let me, let me try and just give you um, a, 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 just a context Israel had been in captivity, rather, had been enslaved for over 400 years. And after those 400 years, God appeared to Moses and told Moses, go and get Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And Moses reluctantly went back to Pharaoh because he had a history. He was an adopted son in that family. But he was also a runaway. And when he went back into his adopted family, he was no longer there pretty much as their son, but as a messenger of God. And he told Pharaoh, let my people go. If you're familiar with that, God actually used 10 different signs showing Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that Moses' God was God. Eventually, Pharaoh was persuaded reluctantly and left and let Israel go. We know of the story of how the children of Israel walked through dry land across the Red Sea. And after several months of going in the desert, God continued to provide for them water and food. He appeared to them on the mountain and gave them the law. And chapter 13 of the book of Numbers is almost about a year after that particular occurrence. They were about a day's journey from the southern tip of the promised land. Just a day's journey, a day's walk. And we capture this in verse 21. So, once they camped out there, Moses sent out a reconnaissance team of spies to find out what would happen out there. And they came back with intelligence on what to expect. They went up and explored the land, scripture says, from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Le- Lebo Hamath. And they went up through the Negev to Hebron, I'm still on verse 22 now, and where Ahiman, Sheshai, and the descendants of Anak, lived. When they reached the valley of Eskol, verse 23, they cut off branches, a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Now, just to give you a vivid picture if you guys can just cut a grape vine and two people have to carry it with a pole imagine how big that fruit was I was humongous two people had to carry it so one person here on this shoulder another person in front and you hang it over there this is evidence that whatever they were going to take was good That place was called the Valley of Eskol, verse 24, because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring. Let's skip to verse 14. When they came... Sorry, not verse 14, verse um, 30. Now, just to give you a context of how it is, they came and they said, you know, where you see this land is good. In fact, this is just an awesome land. But there's a big army there. There are the Amalekites. Okay? These are huge people. Uh, the Hittites. The Jebusites. This is the hill country. And Listen to what Caleb said. Okay? Because... These guys were now saying, I mean, okay, this is a good land, but then there are these big armies, there are these big guys, we can't take this city, we can't take this place, we can't even take them. And then Caleb says and silenced them in verse 13 and says, um, we should go up and take possession of this land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, "We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are." And they spread among Israel a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, "The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are great in size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so, verse 1 of chapter 14 continues and I'd like us to to take more more time just talking about this, but I want to encourage you to go back and read from chapter 14 verse 1, going on. And it will show you how those 10 spies, 10 of those 12 spies, spread a, a, a message That had these guys begin to rebel against Moses and Aaron. In fact, so bad was it that God actually appeared by the tent where Moses used to go and inquire. God came down in a cloud and people saw that. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from from what happened there? Because shortly after this, God told this generation of Israel, what you have done ain't good. In fact, it's messed up. And because you said you want to go back to Egypt, then you are going to wander around in this desert until you die. It is your children that will see the promised land. You guys are going to die here. I grew up in the city of Nairobi and in the neighborhoods around the city. We were close knit to Nijuana, where we were. And when one kid did a bad thing, you know, our parents would, you know, I don't know about you guys, but our parents, you you just couldn't do anything bad. Because Nani's mom saw you doing what you did, na utachapwa uko. Okay? The worst thing was not being chapeau by somebody else's parent. It's when your mom knows that you are disciplined by somebody else's parent. It's like, it was like a, how do you put it? It's like a burnout. At the, so-and-so disciplined you because you did what? So we're in trouble twice. We're in trouble for doing the wrong that we did. And then we were in trouble that we were disciplined by so-and-so's parents. Like we had a, a choice in itself, okay? But that's how we grew up. It was a close-knit place where we grew up. But one of the things that the mothers always used to say, uh, it was, a, don't be like so-and-so. Because there were those kids who are, you know, even as we grew older, it's like, don't be like so-and-so because they have, of their reputation. I want to suggest to you That what we read in chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Numbers. Take it as God saying the same thing. Like your parents would say. Do not be like Israel. Do not be like Israel who rebelled. You see, God revealed himself with ten plagues that preceded Israel's freedom from slavery it was not only a sign to pharaoh as i said but to them israel was not oblivious of this they actually did see it it's not that it didn't happen here they saw what was happening to their slave masters they lived with it and among them and they recognized the i am god because they asked moses who has sent you to lead us and god had told him earlier i am has sent you. And they knew that these were judgments on the gods of the land. With their own eyes, they saw God decimate a very powerful military force at that time. They saw God guide them with a cloud by day. So, every day, there was this cloud that kept on moving. So, as they walked, this thing just kept on moving with them. And at night, there was a a pillar of fire similar to what we'd call you know adopter a light but it was a huge big thing that gave them light during the day they got they saw god do this they saw god give manna every morning without fail except for the sabbath day they got meat in the means of quail god gave them water in a dry land It's not that, guys, they did not know God and experience his grace and his mercy, his love and his mighty power. So when Caleb was telling the 12 spies who came back with this report that he and Joshua acknowledged the fact that there were challenges, he was also saying that we need to believe in this particular God. We need to believe in this God who has been with us through and through. We need to believe in this God, even though that our enemies and those, ar- those armies are as bigger than the, an NBA player. Much, much taller than them, because these were the descendants where Goliath came from. We can still take them out. Guys, it was true that the land was fertile and as I just tried to describe to you, it was it was fertile and it had a bountiful harvest. The rivers watered the land and indeed it was the land of milk and honey. It is what Caleb and Joshua were trying to tell them to focus on. Focus on the promise that God gave us. That he said that this is the land we are going to take but guys, these guys still refused. A book written by a United States of America journalist is called Tom Brokaw. The book is called the, Ge- the Greatest Generation. In this book, the author reflects on a particular generation that, raised, that were raised through the Great Depression and the Second World War. and those who remained and ran the war machine during that time, making an equally great contribution towards the Second World War effort. He makes a case in this book that this generation of U.S. citizens fought not for fame and recognition. Tom Broker writes, because it was the right thing to do. He continues to say, it is, I believe, the greatest generation any society has ever produced. So whether I agree or any reader of that would agree with him or not, this is not, this is a generation that America celebrates. But unlike this generation, I'm, I'm wondering if Kenya has a long history to be able to say there is a generation we can celebrate. Maybe history will tell us in time. But this generation in Israel of Israel is not a generation we should celebrate. I want to suggest to you guys we somewhat look like this generation. I'm using this passage, guys, to emphasize how it is a great tragedy for this generation uh, to completely blow a chance, completely miss an opportunity. Just imagine if they actually went, if they actually took on what Joshua and Caleb said, we can take this city. Just imagine what would have happened. I reiterate my earlier point. Why this generation? Why is this generation so important to us? Because from this point on, from the book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14, all the way Revelations 22-21 they are used as an example of how we should not be like them. Author of any book after who will refer to Israel's stubbornness, stiff-necked, rebellious generation, they are talking about this group. Why? They missed the opportunity. They are unbelieving, unrepentant. I'm trying to look for adjectives here and it's not working. But all in all, they squandered a great opportunity of becoming a great nation, a great people, and leaving a legacy for those who would come after them. Instead, they wandered in the desert for 40 years and perished. Check this out, guys. I call this the tragedy at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the oasis where they were camped just before they entered the promised land. So, here are three tragedies, I see what they have done and what possibly we could be doing right now. Somehow history repeating itself. One, it is the tragedy of unbelief. Now I've explained this here uh, before on a previous sermon series, but I'm going to do it again, just for emphasis. The distinct difference between disbelief and unbelief is this. Disbelief is from the premise of a lack of knowledge or experience. You do not know. You have never experienced it. So it's hard to conceive or to comprehend it. And even believing that he exists is kidogo hard. This is the case of the disciple Thomas. Okay? Alright? Do we remember Thomas? Where we come from? Thomas, one of the disciples. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Okay? Thomas walks into the place and guys are telling him, Yo, man, Jesus is alive and he's like you guys are smoking something you guys are high what do you mean Jesus is alive we saw him being executed and you're telling me the brother is alive liars in fact ma karatasi ngelia ma okay H- how is he alive And and, and, and this is the disbelief He had never experienced it before. But I think there is a reason why the Holy Spirit allowed this story to be in the New Testament for us. Because in the gospel it says when Jesus appeared to, to Thomas he said blessed are you who believe. Blessed are you who believe more than see. And he was quoting back what we saw in the book of of, uh, of uh, Exodus. Uh, cha- I mean uh, Genesis chapter twelve when God appeared to Abraham about his belief. We see it again in, in Habakkuk chapter, two, chapter chapter two because here the prophet Habakkuk was saying, you know, it is better to see to believe than to to see. I've paraphrased it there. Unbelief, on the other hand, stems from one who already knows or who has already known, has experienced a fact like the Israelites in the book of Numbers. So they have already experienced it. Actually, there is a knowledge. There is a reference point. But here you choose not to believe. That is unbelief. For this generation of Israel, the book of Exodus gives us, a vivid, gives us vivid accounts of who God is and how he made himself known to this generation of Israel. It is in this book of Israel, this book, that Israel is introduced to Moses. Sorry, God is introduced to Moses as the I Am. And Moses went on saying, "The I am sent me. It's not that they did not know God, guys. They knew God. They experienced his grace, his love, his mercy and mighty power. So when Caleb and the 12 spies came back with this report, he and Joshua acknowledged. Acknowledged what was going on. The challenges of taking over Canaan. But Israel chose not to believe. They chose not to believe the God of miracles. They chose not to believe signs and wonders. To them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would not come through. For some reason, the God who performed these many miracles ran out of gas, ran out of petrol. That God was out of cash. God to them had filed for bankruptcy. God to them had foreclosed. God had given up on his redemption plan and could not do what he said he would do. You see, how ironic this is so much for us. Because even though we know God's word, even though we have the evidence of him in his word, even though... We have seen God's faithfulness in our lives in the past and even in the present as we speak today, we choose to believe otherwise. You see, unbelief, guys, irritates God. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus is confronted with a situation of a boy who was possessed by an evil spirit. And it manifested itself with a severe case of seizures, it looked like epileptic seizures. And in verse 14 of chapter 9, we we read, Mark says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you guys arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out this spirit, but they could not. Check out what Jesus says in verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long, how long has has he been like this? From childhood, the father answers. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. If... If, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. That man went on else and says, help me, my unbelief rather. And the boy, if we continue reading that thing, was restored. It's a tragedy, guys. And, and you see, I think the thing that I'm beginning to appreciate about why God gets upset or is irritated about unbelief is that we have his word. It is here. This is not just historical evidence. This is truth. Guys, this word here is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that every woman or man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is here. If you want evidence of God's existence, guys, And if you do not choose to believe in this pen, it's alright. Then you cannot call yourself a believer. This is the authority right here. Not this particular thing, but the word of God, so to speak, guys. It's a tragedy for we who are called by his name, who believe in Jesus and have the spirit of God living in us to be found with unbelief. How will others know if we do not live as believers? You see, our faith in God is our currency. It is what activates grace and salvation. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If anyone wants to please God, wait for it, they must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who honestly seek him. If you lived in my neighborhood where I was growing up, this is what would give you street cred. Walking with confidence. That's what we as believers should be. Despite and in spite of the messes and the challenges we are going through, God remains God. Second tragedy. is not just unbelief. The second thing these guys did that is similar to what we do today is disobedience. Now, I, I have been taking some classes about the history of, of 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 the church in Africa, and to many of us, we actually think <laughs> that uh, Christianity began in Africa when the white man and the missionaries came. Uh, but not not really. In fact, Christianity came to Africa well before them predated them by at least let's put it 1800 years so when so when christianity had established itself in europe and all that and they were looking to continue to grow and expand the industrial machinery that was happening that north, north atlantic slave traders and owners began to twist Scripture so that those they were in touch with and in would, would be submissive uh, to authority and to justify their in, inhumane and, and ghastly treatment over slaves. The colonialists even did it better here in Africa in a bid to pacify the African. They manipulated scripture so that we would not rebel against them. I'm not talking about the resistance movement of the Africans. I suggest to you that was not rebellion. What our forefathers did for our independence was not rebellion. Rebellion. That was fighting for freedom. But the difference between that and what we are reading here in scripture, let me get this clear. The leadership of Moses, the leadership of Moses and Aaron was instituted by God. You see the colonialists and the slave traders said, we are, the, we, how would how they put it? I'm trying to be able not to misquote what I read in that book. It says that our God is, is God. So we are sent here by God to rule over you. Do you know why Great Britain was called Great Britain? Do you guys know why Great Britain was called Great Britain? Do you know? I don't know either. In fact, they don't know either. They said they were great. So who told them they were great? Who gave them that title, great? But we accepted it, because maybe God put them there. And here's the thing. Watch. Out. Let me not go into a political history here and all this. I'm trying to be able to talk about different things about the institution of God's leadership. You see, Moses and Aaron were instituted by God. They were his messengers. They were his prophets. We kind of try to use this in political terms. And I think that is where we get wrong, guys. Our elected leaders are different from Moses and Aaron. Very different. They don't play a prophetic role. (laughs) You see, Israel knew this. They accepted it. And the tragedy of disobedience here is that to turn around and now repudiate this position and reject God's instituted leadership and direction and appoint another leader or ask for other leaders was not just outright disobedience, but this was rebellion. And let me explain. Leadership is a calling, guys. And the world all over still has a long way to understand this or even appreciate this. The story of King Saul, we read in First Samuel, and his eventually de- this demise is a show of how a man is consumed with his insecurities, even as a leader failing to obey the counsel and leadership of God through the prophet Samuel. Now, Saul's reluctance to fully obey was the beginning of the end of him and his reign. It was aptly put when Samuel rebuked him, saying in 1 Samuel 15, 23, and this applies to us about how we... we, 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 how we disobey and we rebel. It says this, 1 Samuel 15, 23. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? Does the Lord delight in sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. You see, just like Saul, the infamous child of the neighborhood or in the neighborhood of the Bible, this is Israel, they have turned against Moses and Aaron. Read, they have turned against God and turned the entire camp into a mourning frenzy, accusing them of taking them to slaughter. They accused Moses and Aaron of misleading them and threatened to lynch them by stoning. Guys, leadership is not easy. And I can see where Israel was coming from. I think I can see where it was. However, they forgot or neglected to see that Moses and Aaron were trying to be faithful to God in leading them. The only way they knew how. Which was what? Which was obeying God. It might not make sense, but it's better to obey God. It's better to obey God. In fact, you see, God calls us to a life of obedience. Jesus actually called this an expression of love. The best way to show love to God is to obey him. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever obeys my commands and keeps them. Sorry, whoever obeys my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Lastly, as I close, guys, I think the last mistake these guys did was going things alone. If we continue reading in chapter 14, these guys decided, you know what? We don't want you, Moses. We don't want you, Aaron. We are going on our own. And they actually started moving away until God confronted them. When God appeared before Moses in the form of the burning bush in the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. We see the Lord saying, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the out. Sorry, my people Israel out of Egypt. Wherever you are, this was God's idea. God is not unaware of where you are at. But you see, the children of Israel forgot that. And in verse 1 of chapter 14, that night all the members of the community raised up their voices and wept aloud. All Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken up as plunder." Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Israel decided to go it alone. Sometimes we do that, guys. We choose to go it alone. We do not invite God into our process. In fact, the only way we invite God is like, hey, I say, God, I have this thing I'm doing, Sindio, you just bless it. God invites us to partner with him in his great work. He created Adam and Eve in his own image to partner with him in taking care of creation in the Garden of Eden. God invited Noah to be a part of a regeneration plan through building the ark. God invited Abraham To be the father of a great nation of faith. God invites Israel to build a great nation that will bring glory to God. God is always inviting you and I to partner. To be a co-laborer in his redemption plan. That's the whole idea of the Great Commission. So whatever you're going through, the question we should be asking is not God see us through the question we should be asking is, God, what is your agenda? We can't fly solo, guys. Because God has always been with us. Joshua 1.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? It's a tragedy to walk this life journey on your own. So guys, watch an ifunge apple. But these are my Reflections. With my usual question, I asked, so what, going? How does this help cocoa production in Ghana? I visited NCLA about four or five years ago. At that time, I was the lead pastor at Nairobi Chapel South in South Sea. And being introduced to NCLA was a blast. A year later, I came back and I preached an entire sermon series, and I got to meet awesome people, some of you who are still here. I was floored by much of your humility, your passion for people, your love for God. I was introduced to the NCLA story. I think that was 2018 now, because I came in 2017. Now, this was 2018. And I left here encouraged. At that time, you were still where the children are, okay? But I left here very encouraged. Little did I know that four years later, I'd be here in a capacity as one of your pastors. Allah. You see, in 2014, in November of 2014, Eight years ago, a number of people believed that they could make it rain here in L.A. And sure enough, eight years later, the rain did come down. And it has turned lives, hundreds of lives in Langata around. See, eight years ago, there are people among you here who dare to dream and believe that a worshipping community here in L.A. would change things. Through your Quest Children's Ministries and our PPI, well over a thousand children have heard the gospel to date. Binti Women's Ministries, what you happened yesterday, and through the past couple of years that you've been in existence ladies, you have touched hundreds of women's lives and today not just those women but their families are changed forever today several can say that they have found faith in Jesus Christ here at NCLA some of you became believers in Jesus Christ right here at NCLA. As a church you have wrestled on how uh, to make the gospel real and gone through great lengths to bring hope, healing to your context and the different places in society you are engaged in. In fact uh, this year some of us have even embarked on planting a church in Kilimani. Some of us have already moved. So I came here at the tail end And next year in January because of some of you in partnership with others at Ngong Road Nairobi Chapel Ngong Road a congregation in Kilimani will start. You have had outreach efforts and evangelism here and and in our informal settlement here in Kijiji. Guys, what I'm just trying to say is Acts 1-8 have been playing amongst you. I'm wondering if you have been aware. Do you know what Acts 1-8 was about? And you will receive power, Jesus prophesied, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. This has been happening in your sight. Transformation has been happening in your life. You guys have been coming here day in, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, participating in our different outreach. Do you know God is building his temple in you? We see that are what God is doing? So now that we have or have been undergoing major transitions and COVID has thrown us off and now you have a new pastor here, I believe, guys, we face an even greater responsibility to take NCLA to a higher place. As your pastor, guys, this is not the time to play it cool, to relax. The work is not finished. In fact, it's just getting started. It's crunch time, guys. If you watch local football and listen to the commentators on radio, not even local, even the ones who commentate for those uh, games abroad, they say kipindi chalala salama. You lose, you're out. The stakes are even higher, guys. And let us learn from Israel. I believe the time has come that we can recommit to God. To believe God, obey God, and partner with what He's doing here in Langata. What God is doing in the city of Nairobi. What God is doing in this country. What God is doing around the continent of Africa and around the world. Last week I asked you, if we were the only church remaining on earth what will we do different? We should be doing it now. Let us not be like the generation of Israel that was a tragedy. A tragedy of unbelief, disobedience, and doing things on their own. I want to challenge you to believe God for big things by his grace. Why? Because God Is a God of big things. Believe God. For many more lives. Impacted by our outreach. And evangelism. Believe God. For a hundred new decisions. For Christ. Evidenced with baptisms. And the fruit of the spirit. Among us. Believe God for greater impact. In the lives of children. And teenagers in this community. Believe God. For many more churches birthed. Right here. From NCLA. Good people, it's not the time to sit, exhale, to chill, to warm up those seats. I want to suggest to you that God is calling something of you, NCLA. Because of your faithful service and ministry to the communities around here, you have actually inspired me, your pastor, to dream. So I call you to do three things. Pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. Pray for your leadership. Pray for the leadership here. Pray for the vision and ministry of this church. Choose to believe God for big and greater things, for the kingdom of God through the ministry and work of God through this church, along with others that will walk this journey with us. Number two, give. Give generously and liberally. Give with all your might. Give us your time. Give us your talents and your expertise. And also give us your materials, resources. Give it to us and see what God will do with what he did with those two fish and five loaves and fed fed the multitude, what can he do much more with what you give? And lastly, I'm calling us to serve. Serve faithfully. Serve diligently. Serve passionately. This is the real expression of love to one another. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And indeed, your word is living and active. May we learn from Israel. Given the opportunity, that we should take it. Father God, you have given us an opportunity as a people of God here at NCLA. For the past eight years we have been in existence. You have shown your faithfulness to us as a congregation. To us as families and as individuals. I sense now, Father God, you're asking us take on the bigger challenge the bigger challenge of being your witnesses not just in LA but around the city of Nairobi around this great nation of Kenya around the continent of Africa and around the world Father God, you have called us as your witnesses. So, Father God, I pray that you begin to stir something in each one of our spirits today. For indeed there is a great work. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Stirring up, stirring up, stir it up, Father God, in each one of our lives, our hearts today. To respond in faith. To respond in obedience. And to respond as a partner and a co-laborer in this great work. Of you redeeming us. Through your son we pray. Amen.